This episode is a part of a special series devoted to a new edited book titled Social and Emotional Learning in Physical Education, Applications in School and Community Settings. Published by Jones and Bartlett Learning in cooperation with Shape America, the book is edited by Dr. Paul Wright of Northern Illinois University and Dr. Kevin Richards of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, it's available for fall 2021 instruction. The text will integrate well into physical education teacher education coursework, and it's a great resource for teachers looking to increase the focus on social and emotional learning in their classes. This special series is sponsored by the Physical Activity and Life Skills Group in the Department of Kinesiology and Physical Education at Northern Illinois University. Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm joined today again by Dr. Kevin Richards from University of Illinois and Dr. Paul Wright from Northern Illinois University. Um, we're going to be discussing the second chapter that they co-authored in their um, edited book, Connecting Social and Emotional Learning to the Physical Education Curriculum. So, um, Paul, Kevin, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on again, Risto. So, Kevin, let me go to you. First question, sport builds character, true or false? Yeah, yeah, this is this is actually, I think, a good bridge between um, the last uh, episode that we did and, and this one. We kind of uh, tiptoed around this a little bit without maybe directly answering that question. So I'm glad that you started there so we can kind of get an opportunity to revisit that. And, and I don't think that there's a, an easy answer to that question. I think that sport can build character uh, in some instances. Uh, and if it's designed to do so intentionally, but but I don't think that sport is just this naturally good thing. It's not this naturally good occurring construct that that always uh, brings about positive growth and social and emotional learning. Sport can do a lot of damage, um, and, and you know you see physical damage through sport uh, if it gets too rough or. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got issues of overtraining, um, and I remember uh, I played baseball growing up, and uh, we, we played against this kid in Enfield, Connecticut. Um, I still remember his name, actually, and, and he threw his arm out, destroyed his arm his senior year, throwing like 100-plus innings, went to college to play on scholarship, and was done before the season even started because he'd thrown his arm out. Um, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a coach making a decision to play a player more than they should that results in, in physical harm. And I think you see the same thing social and emotionally. I think that there are some really positive things that can come out of sport, you know, you know learning to work together and teamwork and leadership, um, all of that good stuff that we want to claim for sport. But there's a dark side as well. And, and kids can learn bad behaviors like cheating and cutting corners and um, you know, you know, things that, that make them, you know, less adaptive members of society. So it, it depends, but sport can build character through social and emotional learning when it's intentionally designed to. Yeah. And I, I agree with that completely. And I just, the only other, uh, spin I would put on it is, um, at face value, the question, does sport build character? I would say, yes, the qualifier is what kind of character? <laughs> You know, to all the points that Kevin just made, some some coaches and PE teachers are systematically building really negative, unethical behavior traits, um, promoting homophobia, misogyny, a culture of bullying. Um, that that is building character, but in the wrong direction. Um, you know, but yeah, I think Kevin said it beautifully beyond that. I, I'm glad you added that, Paul. I think I was I was assuming that character was always a positive thing, but but it's but it's not. 
And that's really a good way to think about it. Character's not value-laden either, and it can either be positive or negative depending upon the way that it's cultivated. Right, right. And I've got to give props to Al Pettifaw. He's a sports psychologist that I – it's sort of a light bulb moment. Somebody points that out, and we always assume we're talking about positive character. Like, he's, also a, he's also a Springfield College guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Good, good people from Springfield College. Got, yep. to, got to promote that alma mater every, ta- every chance you get. <laughs> So, Paul, I I love that you took a historical perspective, and I like reading that. You know, you you did a good overview. You went back to Plato uh, in in your historical lens. But um, why did you want to include the historical context of SEO? You know, I I think we've said similar things already in the previous um, episode, but whether we want to claim it and name it or not, these things are inextricably woven into sport and physical activity. The, the way we're reacting to it, the way we're responding emotionally, um, the way we're behaving, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we treat other people, um, they are, they're really built into that experience. And so it's been addressed, you know, it's been given different labels over time, you know, based on historical context and culture. Uh, I myself, you know, have a lifelong passion for Asian martial arts and the idea of building body, mind and spirit together and and teaching values through that physical exercise and sport. Um, that's that's been built in for, for centuries, uh, for millennia uh, in the East. So it, it's addressed in different ways. Sometimes it's on a front burner. Sometimes it's on a back burner. But we just wanted to, to make that point that this is not a new concept this is what i would i would say this is a a new and fresh articulation of something that that has been known throughout uh, human history and across the globe but it's the most current um and i think a useful run at trying to name that and give us a framework for thinking about it and working with it so the you know, part part of that historical perspective, you talked about education of the physical and education through the physical. So, Kevin, can you talk to me about this concept? How are they different and how do they relate to SEL? Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this is also a big part of my Springfield College uh, education. So I can I can tap the alma mater twice in the same podcast. Uh, that makes me feel good about myself. You, you um, won't have to yeah, donate so- this year. Uh, um, but 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 yeah so these uh, historically there were kind of these two different competing arguments you know is physical education education of the physical meaning are we developing the physical body um, you know growing muscles increasing cardiovascular uh, endurance reducing fat um, or uh, is physical education a vehicle through which we realize other outcomes, uh, which would be more aligned with um, an education through the physical perspective. Uh, you know, clearly, I think that that in reality, it's both of those things. Um, you know, through physical education, we're trying to develop skills, we're trying to develop the body, um, and we're trying to develop um, you know attitudes and dispositions that lead towards healthy uh, engagement in physical activity uh, and other health behaviors over the course of the lifetime. So that's that's clearly a, a central part about what we're trying to do. But but physical education also has this opportunity to to look at other things through physical education. Um, you know, you, you, there's kind of this long-standing tradition of cross-curricular integration 
um, where we uh, integrate things from other disciplines into physical education and then encourage classroom teachers to do the same through like physical activity breaks to take place in the classroom. So, you know, when we're bringing in math or science or these other things into physical education in a co-curricular way or a, or a cross-curricular way, I would argue that that's education through the physical. We can learn math principles through physical activities. Um, and, and that really taps into the fact that a lot of kids learn better kinesthetically anyway. They learn really well through movement. Uh, and don't learn as well, um, you know, by seeing or hearing. Being able to move out and work out problems helps them quite a bit. Um, and I think that SEL kind of uh, brings in that focus as well. We can talk about those, um, you know, social emotional learning competencies as they occur through uh, physical education. So, Paul, let me ask you this: that you brought up positive youth development here, and so. Has it has it positive youth development been SEL for for years and years and years? Yeah, I, I think they're they're these are both very broad umbrellas, right? I mean, positive youth development encompasses so many different approaches and practices, um, and uh, and the same could be said about social emotional learning. I know, like uh, Castle uh, sponsored a meta analysis. It was uh, Taylor et al. in 2017, and it was interesting to me. They actually framed social-emotional learning as an approach to positive youth development. I mean, so that's one example of someone setting positive youth development as the broader, larger umbrella, and SEL being one of the approaches or frameworks that falls under that. Either way, I would say they, they work very much in parallel. I guess my observation would be that I, I think a distinction is the language of SEL and that framework is adopted much more clearly in K-12 schooling and in the educational sector. Whereas even though the two are very interchangeable in some ways, their practices and their intents and their outcomes, uh, positive use development is a framing that is much more used in uh, out of school contexts and community-based settings. I think they're, they work together they're very strongly aligned but that's one observation i've made is, is almost depending on the context or the setting you're working in you see um which framework is is applied more often or more frequently so kevin um let's talk about big umbrellas uh you know sel isn't new to pe necessarily either you both have done a lot of work on the uh, don helson's tpsr model so does that count as SEL in your understanding? Um, yeah, so so Paul worked directly with Don, of course, so I'll, I'll default to him for, for part of this. But, but I will say that, that I had a really uh, unique and interesting experience a few years ago where, um, you know, after, after Don Hellison passed away, JTPE sponsored um, a special issue uh, to his life and legacy. And I had the opportunity to write um, a, uh, a chapter in that with one of my doctoral students, uh, uh, Victoria Shiver, about the uh, history of TPSR, which, which I think in some ways aligns with the history of SEL in physical education. You know, Don Hellison, uh, back in the day, you know, he didn't call it SEL. He called it a humanistic approach to education. But if you really look into what, he's get, what he was getting at then, it, it, it's really you know stuff that laid the foundation for where we are now. Um, uh, it, you know, and he he, he uh, uh, faced a lot of resistance to that throughout his career because it was 
kind of counterculture within physical education at the time to, to talk about anything except for physical development. Um, you know, there's a lot of skills stuff going on back uh, back then in um, some activity stuff as well. And, and a lot of people, you know, didn't see the place of SEL within that world. And, and, and I think that there might be still some rumblings and some lingerings uh, nowadays where, where you've got um, some members of the community who still kind of don't see SEL as being particularly germane to what we're doing in physical education. Obviously, Paul and I would argue with that, of course, but um, but yeah, you know, there is a long history um, of, of SEL in physical education. And I would argue that you can trace that back to the work that, that Don Hellison, if not others, uh, did back, um, you know, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah, just to spring off that, I mean, I, I think Don definitely was uh, the preeminent trailblazer, right? Um, we we want to give props to, to other people who've done lots of good work over the years, but Don was literally a champion of this work before it was a sub-discipline, before it was an initiative, before it was a buzzword. Um, he was slugging away for decades, developing very practical approaches to address the things that are commonly associated with social emotional learning. Um, so now just, I guess, so what I'll focus, Kevin did a great job of sort of parking to the, the history behind this. So how they coexist now, I think one of the things that Don, and he said this many times, wrote about it, uh, he was concerned with practice, developing, developing strategies that worked in practice with kids. And that's where he was, was, had, had an incredible impact on the field and is a true icon. Uh, he was the first to admit that he was not overly bothered with theory or empirical support. You know, he was very practice oriented. Um, so I think one thing when I sort of look at how the two coexist right now, I think it's a very synergistic relationship because in TPSR, for example, we have 50 years worth of uh, field tested strategies that we know work and that we found time and time again really hold together and work well. Um, but they were sort of floating out there and not tethered to a clear conceptual framework previously. Now we've got SEL being integrated into PE. This gives us a really well-recognized, empirically supported conceptual framework. But how to do it in PE is a relatively new intersection to explore. So there we looked at the strategies of TPSR. I just... I find them working together and complementing each other really well. You know, so if I'm going to run a TPSR program or lesson, it's not that I'm going to say, well, now I don't do TPSR anymore. I'm going to do SEL or vice versa. I look to one as my conceptual framework and a way to connect to broader ideas and conversations and research potentially. But down and dirty, when I'm running that, you know, awareness talk or that group meeting at the end, I'm digging up, you know, Don's, uh, you know, tried and true uh, pedagogical strategies. Yeah. So, I mean, reading this chapter is clear that we've known SEL is important for a very long time. In the research community with work from Don Helson through people who've spoken about it and talked about it and wrote about it. But, Paul, why do you think that there hasn't been more of a widespread, like, shift into uh, SEL in, in the physical education curriculum? Like what, what gives, like why, why is it just now that we're even getting a book that's a one-stop shop kind of book on SEL and PE when Don Housen was doing this in the seventies? Yeah. 
Oh, there's a lot. That, that question is a good setup for a whole episode. Um, so a couple thoughts that bubble up first. I, I think one thing, um, and Kevin mentioned this before, the deep culture of physical education as a field has, has historically been oriented toward physical development, psychomotor outcomes, um, and the, the sport and the physical fitness components that are obviously central to it. Um, but buy-in has been sparse or lacking regarding what we're now calling social and emotional learning. Um, often these things have been considered nice to have, right? I mean, like, oh, I'll, I'll do affective assessments if I have time, or I, I just work on that informally with kids because it's hard to measure. Um, these are things that have often been either not addressed directly or given secondary status. Um, and sometimes just completely ignored because nobody ever followed up or checked up on it, right? Very little accountability or oversight. So you get a field where that's, that's the, the, the history going back for decades and decades and decades. Um, how are current and new PE teachers supposed to know how to do this well or what it looks like? If they haven't been taught how to see this as content and teach it as skills, and assess it the same way they would assess any other skill. They didn't see it modeled when they were coming up. Uh, this is Kevin, I, I shouldn't say anything more about this because this is really socialization stuff now, which is much more Kevin's expertise. But m m my point is that it, it's, um, it has been there sporadically and it has been ill-defined and it's been addressed in pockets in, in very innovative and excellent ways, but it's never been systematically a priority. And there's never been a consistent, coherent understanding of what it was. So I think that we're at a moment now where if we're going to move into that direction, I use this example with PE teachers all the time. If you ask a group of PE teachers anywhere in this country, right, most places in the world, what does physical fitness mean? What, what, what are the five components of physical fitness? They can rattle that off, you know, and how do you teach that? What's an activity that would promote uh, that type of that component of fitness? How would you assess that? bang, 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 they can answer those questions so easily. Then flip it and say, okay, what's social-emotional learning? And you get a bunch of blank stares. Much less. What does it consist of? How do you teach that? Give me an example of an activity you ran last week that promoted it, and how do you assess to know how your kids are doing and give them feedback? You know, there, there's, those are probably the two extreme examples going from ill-defined to well-defined. Um, and I think that's the reason we need a resource like this and conversations like this, um, not to mandate how people approach this, but to at least get a common language and, and a consistent reference point for people to say, this is what I'm focusing on and why. So, Kevin, what's this yeah, been I, at the national level? Like, has Shape America bought in? Has this been, like, adopted at that, at that national level? Or does it, how does it incorporate into the standards? Kevin, do you want to pick that up? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I think that uh, for, for a long time now, we've had at least the one the one standard that really kind of specifically focuses on personal and social responsibility. I mean, it's right there in the language of the standard. But, but what Shape America did a few years back that I think was really helpful, and this was even before we started this book project, they took the castle um, kind of competencies and map those directly to our Shape America national standards, which really illustrates that, that you know, um, social and emotional learning is really embedded 
in everything that we do in physical education. Now, in some in some ways, it's a bit more at the forefront than others. That that social emotional learning standards right there. That's up. For, or, I'm sorry. The personal and social responsibility standard, the FCL's right there up front in that one. But even in some of our other standards, if you really kind of get down to the nit and grit of it and look at the CASEL competencies, there are clear ways to kind of map between our standards and their competencies. So, you know, I, I would say that Shape America is very much behind this. I think it aligns with the direction that the organization's been going over the last few years. Uh, Health Moves Minds is another, you know, Shape America national initiative that has clear connections and foundations to SEL. We talk about uh, that in the book briefly as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say probably now more than ever, actually, at the national level, Shape America is behind this. So, Paul, let me ask you this, uh, and this will be the last question. Um, what do you see as the next steps for SEL and PE? Like, what do you what do you want? government level policy or researchers or teachers to do in the future when we talk about SEL in, in a wider scope? Yeah, I think, you know, back to my last rant, I'll call it, I don't know. Um, the We're at the stage of just, I think, developing a common language and a common uh, framework you know, for, for discussing these issues. Uh, that's step one. I mean, th then we have a long way to go before we say, okay, what does best practice look like in this area? Um, and how do we integrate it into teacher education? Like I said before, with the idea of socialization, um, Kevin and I, re in a, independent of the book, uh, recently uh, teamed up with Shirley Gray uh, to write an article about how, how current educational policies get translated into practice regarding SEL and PE. Um, and, and there's just so much work to be done there. For one thing, to, to understand how do teachers make sense of this? You know, I mean, I, I of course, I, I promote the idea of integrating this into educational policy and educational standards. The more direct connection, the better. Um, but how does that trickle down into the way that uh, district superintendents and school principals make sense of this and see it as part of what PE content includes. Um, and how do do teachers who didn't grow up seeing this prioritized and weren't trained in teacher ed to do it effectively, um, how do we get them caught up? I mean, th there's, there's a heck of a lot of work to do. The policy stuff is actually, I think, the easier end of it. A few good meetings, getting yourself around the right table, bang, it's written into the policy. But to actually have it integrated in practice to where it actually benefits kids and kids start to get these outcomes uh, developing more because of what their teachers are doing, uh, that's going to involve a lot of in-service teacher work, a lot of pre-service teacher work. Um, that all needs to be supported by ongoing research. You know, once we've got a conceptual framework to start pulling together, I've seen recent literature reviews on personal and social skills uh, in PE, social-emotional learning in PE, the affective domain in PE. Um, you know, there's tons of work out there uh, th that I think if we can start to come up with a framework to integrate a lot of what we know in those different, uh, under those different names, uh, we could really start to get a mo more coherent program of research and uh, professional development together. Kevin, anything to add? What, what are you looking for for the future of SEL and PE? Where do you see this going? Where do you where do you hope that it goes? 
Yeah, yeah. Just um, kind of building off a little bit of what of what Paul was just saying there. I think that uh, you know the, the challenges that we're going to face in terms of getting really authentic, meaningful integration uh, of FCL into physical education, in, in some ways, are, are socialization challenges. And, and Paul kind of hinted at that a couple of times. But you know, I can just give you an example from my own life when we were working on this book actually and putting together. Um, I think chapter three. Uh, Paul and I had this conversation that completely changed the way that I thought about SEL. Um, you know, when, when I was going through undergrad, we were taught, you know, there are two basic task systems that drive everything in physical education, an instructional task system and a managerial task system. And the whole idea behind the managerial net task system, the way that it was at least presented to me, was that that is what you need to do to make sure that instruction can take place. So the managerial task system is not learning in and of itself, that it lays the foundation or the environment for learning. Um, I actually started writing the chapter that way. And Paul was like, well, let's pump the brakes and think about this a little bit, because a lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of being managerial are actually opportunities for SEL instruction and to build SEL competencies. Um, as we're developing rules and routines, those are chances where kids can get their voices and their, and, um, their perspectives out there. They can contribute. Uh, they can develop rules. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for that uh, process to be a lot more authentic. And I didn't get that at first. And I didn't get it at first because I was socialized to see those things as being different. And, and to this day, it still kind of trips me up a little bit as I think about it um, because I, was, I just had that so ingrained. Like that was part of the foundation of physical education for me. And I think, you know, kind of looping back to your question, I think that those socialization challenges are going to be there for a lot of people. And understanding um, social and emotional learning as an authentic part of physical education is going to be something that's new for, for teachers who have been out there for a long time and who, who may um, or, or may not be on board. Uh, so there, there are definitely some challenges there, but, but good pre-service teacher education and, and continuous professional development opportunities are, are definitely ways that we can continue to work with people. Um, but, but, you know, at, at some point, teachers need to get on board, too, and they need to see this as, um, you know, just something that they want to invest in. One of the biggest, other biggest shifts that ever happened for me was when I stopped looking at TPSR as a pedagogical model and started looking at TPSR as a way of being, or a way of treating kids, a way of doing instruction in physical education that was more than just a model. It was who I was as a teacher. Uh, and I think that that's really where people need to shift to, to see SEL as something that is aligned with who we are as people. Um, we have a, a presentation coming up at the uh, Shape America conference, and, and Paul does a really nice job of this, you know, laying out that whole walk the walk thing. If we're going to expect other people to do this as teachers and teacher educators, then we need to model that for them. And Risho, if I could just uh, sandwich this a little bit, I want to go back to, to this bigger idea and spring off what Kevin put on the, on the table there. You know, I think we've got a lot of work to do just to get PE teachers to see this as content, treat it as content, and really integrate it in, in, a, in a meaningful way. But that would be for what I would consider sort of fundamental or basic social-emotional learning. Don Hellison gave us a blueprint. I mean, you know, because if you look at his model, he was always shifting toward what? Responsibility. Give the kids more power. Give them more responsibility. Give them more voice was his guiding principle with the ultimate aim of transfer, right? I mean, his model, his model has that baked into it, the idea of transfer. 
So I think the there's a lot of work to get sort of a, a, a coherent treatment of SEL and PE, but my personal goal will be to continue pushing people to say, just like Kevin was bringing up, how can you be giving kids more active roles? How can you be sharing some of your power with them? How can you be giving them more responsibility to practice these competencies in authentic ways? Um, and, and to have conversations about transfer. Kevin mentioned, I think it was in the last episode, while we were working on this book, the, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and the Black Lives Matter movement exploded, you know, in, in the wake of uh, the murder of George Floyd. And it, just to name a few of the sort of uh, pressing and, and uh, troubling social issues we've been facing lately, we have an opportunity to work with kids on how to manage conflict, how to talk about working with people who are different from you in a very concrete way in, in the gym, right? What about using that as a platform to say these are real life skills that are important in our society and in our communities? We're practicing this not just so the game goes smoothly today, but because these are really important skills for you in your life. Have conversations with kids about critical issues, about injustice and disparities, and why it's important not to say you throw like a girl or you know whatever asinine thing is being put out there in the gym. Instead of just telling kids, do this, don't do that, use these as teachable moments and opportunities to really help them develop into people and citizens. That's the highest ideal, not just a little more coherent approach to behavior management, but actually helping kids develop into, them, into their best selves and help us as teachers become the best version of that. Yeah, and, and you sandwiched that very good, very well. I really like that sandwich. Thank you. So let me thread something here. One of the things that I heard both of you say was how do teachers start like wrapping their head around this? How do they, what resources do they have? And I. And I feel like looking over this book, like this book is a really good place for them to start thinking about this stuff. There's a lot of practical examples. There's a lot of content in different ways and historical perspectives of what SEL was and what it could be. And, you know, if they're following the Shape America standards, there's a lot of, you know, help on understanding how those uh, are mapped out. So, um, Thanks again for coming on. Um, we have five more uh, episodes covering different uh, different chapters from different authors, and um, we'll be uh, putting these out on a continual basis. So, Paul, Kevin, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you so much. Take care.